I didn't even know how to have a conversation with another person before I finally decided that I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn how to talk to people, which I did. But, you know, it took me a while to catch up. I went through that and I, and I went through all this suffering for years where I'm watching life pass me by and all these other people leave me behind in their dust. It's just, you know, sitting there and, the, and watching the, the time tick by on the days. I don't want other people to have to go through that. And I feel like it's a way for me to help other people that are, are, are going through what I went through. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Chase Amante runs Girls Chase, one of the most trafficked sites for dating coaching, which recently celebrated 10 years in business. Girls Chase sets itself apart from its peers, besides its longevity, with basic material devoid of gimmicks for men to improve their lives, still getting about 40% of their traffic from women. The episode is long because Chase shared in depth what I consider valuable for someone wanting to lead in the area of the environment, an area people want to act in but most put off. He had to marshal his passion for most of those 10 years, developing community, listening, and motivating himself when the money wasn't coming through. You'll hear the reward that came from it that made it all worthwhile and how he changes his customers' lives. First, we'll talk about the dating education world, often misunderstood. Chase is a longtime friend. He's very thoughtful about the environment, though hasn't acted so much on it, for reasons he eloquently explains. I take the liberty of persisting politely, so if you haven't acted or you want to influence others in the area of the environment, you'll hear a lot of resistance that many feel but rarely express. I think that's valuable for people who want to lead in this area or for people who want to act in this area. So let's listen. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Chase Amante. Chase, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Josh. Glad to have you here. And Chase and I go back farther than almost, I mean, you're not my, like my most longstanding friend, but we go back almost probably 10 years. Was it maybe 07, 08 that we met? Yeah, somewhere about way back then. Uh, yeah, my and, memory is a little foggy as well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we met online. We were both students of the same teacher, if I remember right. And so we would have known each other through posting on forums. Well, what I propose doing is learning a bit about your business and your, by my read, you're extraordinarily successful, one of the most successful people in the world at what you're doing. But I think it's out of the realm of most people or they kind of hear about it in a way that they're, hmm, I don't know much about that. And they think it's kind of a off to the side thing, but you have a really big community. And can I ask you, what service do you provide from the eyes of your customers? What, like people who work with you, what are you providing for them and who are they? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the superficial level, what we do is dating advice. We're telling guys how to improve themselves, how to be more attractive and how to meet the women they want and how to, how to move things through the process to get the date, to get the girlfriend, to build the relationship. Uh, what guys end up saying after a while is that the kind of advice that we focus on is making them into better men, that we're teaching them how to be men, which it seems like is something that's 
kind of missing in the modern environment. You know, we're very focused on professional success and uh, image and things like that, and not so much as focused on the interpersonal now as perhaps maybe we used to be. Just a bit of a a gap. We try and fill that gap in. But we use the vehicle of dating advice as the, as the way to do it because everybody wants to learn more about dating. But in the process, you can also show a man how to have better control over his own life and to improve himself in all the dimensions that really matter to him. People listening probably have, there's probably a lot of preconceived notions and, and your business lives in a world of lots of related things, some some similar, some different. How does society view what your your business? Uh, it depends. You know, when people first come to our website, for instance, a lot of people think, oh, maybe this is just some spammy website or so there's the branding, the presentation, you got to figure out how you're going to do that. So for us, we just try and make it as, as fun, playful, a little bit sexy, a little bit suave as possible, just have the right kind of image for it. Uh, but then once people get into it, they find out that the content actually goes pretty deep and we cover a lot of nuance and perspectives uh, that we, we really get in there. We're not just given people. You know, when I start, started uh, setting up the site, my focus was I looked around at all these other websites and a lot of them, you know, there's all kind of the same topics people cover, which is like, you know, how to get a date, how to ask a girl out, how to text a girl, uh, how to have a relationship, all these different little things in that area. But a lot of it's very fluff advice or it's kind of it's one guy's perspective on the thing that works for him without going into the psychology of it. And we wanted to look at, can you get really into the nuance and give a guy the woman's perspective on it so that she can, he can understand where she's coming from so that he's really improving the way that he thinks about the people that are involved and not just learning a few things to say or tactics to use. And then from there, we go more into psychology. We're going to just the way that society works, different things, and, and we're exploring a lot of these. So, you know, it's it's kind of like the the Renaissance man, really, the, the guy that's got this specialty in all these different areas or this interest. I don't, I don't even know what this, what's the correct way. What, what am I trying to describe here? All right. When you talk about the advice that you give, it feels like if I, not that I read Cosmo or like, it feels like that sort of stuff permeates women's magazines. And there's a lot of advice out there for them. When I look at GQ or Esquire, I feel like it's it's much more about what suits to buy, what car to drive, what stereo to buy, what alcohol to buy. And like one year, one one month, they'll say, this is why no one wears boxers anymore. And then the next month, it's like, this is why everyone wears boxers. And I feel like they're making up trends so that you can feel like you're not in it, except if you read this and, and buy this. And what you're describing, I'm, I'm not aware of where it's available. And independent of how to describe it, I feel like I'm, it's not really available. The simple basic, I mean, maybe from older brothers or from fathers, which was not the case for me. I mean, where else can people get the kind of stuff that you're talking about, however it's labeled? Yeah, that, that's a good, better description of it than uh, I'm, I'm not used to trying to package everything and describe what we're doing in a simple, concise way. Yeah, that's one of the things that I hear from guys is guys say, you know, Chase is like a surrogate father or I wish Chase was, was my dad or I feel like Chase is an older brother. It's That's exactly what it is. So I, I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of the publications that focus on men's issues are approaching it sort of from that. It's a very commercial standpoint. Obviously, we're commercial too. 
we're a business, so we have products that we sell. You know, got to make money if we if we. And I think we're pretty decent at that. You know, if we didn't make money, then the business won't survive, and we won't be around to give good advice to men anymore. So we have to have that aspect handled as well. But the the focus is really on that we genuinely care about having a positive impact on the people that we're reaching out to and serving. And and me, I think a lot of that extends from the guy who's who's running things, and then you attract the kind of people that are drawn to that sort of uh, message once you're building something. And so for me, uh, I just don't like that kind of thing. You know, GQ, what you're talking about. To be honest, I've never really read those magazines too much, so I'm not too familiar with uh, exactly what they're doing. So I, I don't want to slander anybody's name. You know, I don't know who's doing what. But yeah, the whole making up trends to try and switch things about. And, and yeah, there's a lot of that definitely in those magazines. And whereas for us, we try to keep things consistent. You can come and, and it's always the advice that we're giving, the, the topics that we're covering. It's all trying to be consistent. Yeah. Can you share a story or two of, actually, let's get some size first. How many visitors do you get? I mean, you're, you're primarily a website. You also have, I guess, video and audio and reading material that people can, can buy. And it's probably a lot of freebies, but how many, what's the best measure? Is it like monthly hits? Yeah. Uh, we do about a million visitors a month earlier in 2018. It was a little bit higher. And then towards the end of 2018, it dropped a little bit just because we get search traffic and that goes down and up as the algorithms change, but it's right around a million visitors a month. And how long does someone typically stay active? Are they just coming in to learn some quick stuff? I imagine or what's the ratio of like who comes in for quick stuff and who sticks around? Are the people who, oh, here I have to add, you just celebrated your 10th year in business, if I understand right, as, as Girls Chase. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I don't go there that often, but when I do, partly because when I go there and read your stuff, I like can't stop. And I'm like, wow, this is a really interesting view. And I, these are things that I think about a lot. And yet, to my view, you and your other writers, there's fresh perspectives that are valuable. And so when I go there, I have to prepare. Like I know I'm going to spend a couple hours. Uh, <laughs> And that particular time, I was some of the stuff that people wrote of some of them were there at the very beginning, and that means they've been there for a decade, and it was really touching, heartfelt stuff that my view of mainstream men sharing openly it was more heartfelt and more open and more open expressions of emotion raw that people say isn't there, and yet in this context. And not only was it there, but it, and it wasn't like, um, I don't know, there's a lot of people who do these things like men go off in the woods together. And I've never done one of those things, but it, it doesn't really resonate with me. But this one seemed more, it wasn't a big deal. It was just, anyway, so it was just a comfortable environment for people to be more open, for men to be more open. And so how long did people stay in? What, and then what are some stories, if you don't mind sharing, you know, obviously I'm sure anonymity is a big piece of it, but can you share how long people are in it and what stories they have to share or what stories you've seen? Yeah, um, you know, so it's dating advice. So a lot you get a lot of guys that are coming from either they've struggled with women, or a lot of them come after they had a bad breakup. Some of them they've just never been successful with women at all, which was how I started out in the beginning. Seems like a lot of the guys that are teaching it started out uh, the other way. They had a bad breakup, and then they they got into studying dating seriously as like a as a skill because a lot of people don't think about it that way. A lot of people don't think of dating as a skill. They just want to go out meet somebody, have it work out perfect. But, you know, it is, uh, there's actually a, a field in, in psychology that's called mating intelligence, 
which finds that as your mating intelligence goes up, as you know more about dating and romance and attraction and all those things, you get better and better at it. You're better at securing attraction from the people that you like, better at finding the right mates, and then having healthier, longer-lasting relationships. So we see guys that come in, and you see a lot of young guys that lose their virginities. You see guys that have divorced, and then they bounce back. We had a guy who became one of our senior members on the forum and was writing articles for us who had come back after a bad divorce and left him really kind of shaken and not knowing how he was going to get back in the dating pool. And they ended up going on a tear, dating a bunch of women. And now he's, I think he's engaged to a really wonderful girl who hopefully is going to be a better match for him than his first marriage. Before you go on, can, can I ask for what made the difference? Did he share that? Can you say what worked and what didn't, or I mean, what worked this time and what didn't work before? Sure. You know, for him, what he was saying, uh, I don't remember the exact specifics, but if I recall right, and a lot of these guys uh, up, you know, a lot of the guys in our community or our success stories say similar things is that often it's getting in, being exposed to our content, reading the articles, or if they buy one of the products, going through the videos, the books, and a lot of it's being exposed to just the mindset, the mentality of the way that I or the other writers and contributors are approaching dating. Just that it's not a big deal, but you can have a plan. It doesn't have to be a big plan. It can be a simple plan just having a clear idea about where you want to take things. And then a few small things that guys are aware of, like when she's giving you a signal, you should jump on that. You know, for, I think a lot of people think about dating advice and they think it's these tricks and routines. And, and some of this stuff has been branded that way or, you know, but, which is, but for us, it's, it's making it a more natural, intuitive thing. And for a lot of guys, it's just really, can they stop second guessing themselves and start paying attention to the, the signs that women are giving them, which is what women want them to do. You know, women don't want the guy to miss all their signs and then both people go home frustrated. And for, for a lot of these guys, it's, it's learning to, for a lot of guys, it's learning to pay more attention to those signs, to take action when they see them, to not have so much doubt, to not second guess themselves so much. Once they get past that hurdle, then everything starts getting a lot easier. It reminds me of when I teach leadership and Actually, this is an entrepreneurship class, which I also teach. And I was at NYU and I was teaching the students about approaching people. I was preparing them for a job fair that was coming up. And so I set up the table at the front of the room and we were doing role playing where I was going to be like someone representing a company. And a few of the students came in and they were not, they were not American citizens. They were new to this culture. And for example, they gave me a handshake with no tension in their hands whatsoever what I would call a dead fish handshake. I was like, I can't say what it's like in other cultures, but in American culture, if you give someone a handshake like that, it's not going to go over well. It's, I mean, learn for yourself, but practice giving a firm handshake. And they were like, really? And I was like, give it a shot. And it just transformed a lot. And I wouldn't call that a trick. I wouldn't call that like some little, here's this thing that if you do this, it will blah, blah, blah. But you really, it's not, if you weren't in that culture, you wouldn't know it. Once you do it, it becomes natural and you don't really think about it. And it's really helpful. And how else do you learn? You can go your whole life never giving a firm handshake. And if that's in, if, if you're from a culture where that's normal or standard, then you might never know if someone doesn't tell you, use a firm handshake that people are reading you in a way that, and you're not getting the relationships that you could. 
is that kind of like what you're talking about, except in a different context and not, not a business context, but a more what social dating context? Yeah. You know, we, we get a lot of guys that are, that are, you know, doing okay with women that are just normal guys and they just want to improve their results or they want to get a more attractive girlfriend, things like that. But we also get the guys, the guys that have never had a girlfriend, never kissed a girl, never been on a date or the guys that have been divorced and they have no idea what to do at this point. And both of those guys are in that kind of situation because they're, they're looking at if, if they're the young guy that's never gotten anywhere with girls, they may be looking at it and saying, you know, I'm 20 years old, 22 years old, 24 years old. We get guys that are even older. And every other guy out there has 10 years on me in the dating game. And a woman, when she meets a man, expects the guy to be at that point, to know all these things that these other guys have learned over 10 years. And this guy has zero experience and he just can't even compete. He's so far out of the field that he has no idea what to do. It's like walking into another culture where he's just, I think a lot of people, especially people that have been dating since they were younger, look at it and say, oh, just just to be yourself, just go with your instincts, just follow your heart. Because they don't realize that they have learned all this stuff over 5, 10, 15 or more years of dating that these other guys have never learned. And you can't learn that from the outside just from watching romantic comedies or, or you know, hanging out with your friend who has a girlfriend sometimes. It's something that you have to do and experience. And these guys haven't been doing that and experiencing it. And they're just completely clueless. And for the divorced guy, you know, he's a little bit better off. At least he's at least he's uh, dated in the past. But some of these guys, we also get guys that divorce after marrying their high school sweetheart. This was like the only girl that they ever kissed or dated. And now they're back out, out on their own. They have no idea what to do because they're not in high school anymore. They can't just meet a girl, uh, you know, sitting over in their class and, and take her out their mom's car and make out in the back seat. It's completely different. And they have no idea what to do. So for a lot of these guys, yeah, it is just getting these different skills and perspectives or even homework assignments, tasks, go, go out and do this, try this, see what happens when you do this. So that they have this kind of, you know, it's a way to, uh, to ease your foot into the pool, this guided entry into something, into a world that is just completely alien to them, where other people are very familiar with it and comfortable with it and look at them and say, oh, I don't understand. Why can't he just do it like everybody else? Because they can't, they don't, they don't conceptualize where these guys are coming from. They have no experience here yet. I think people get that to be an actor on stage or on film is it takes years of training and to look natural is the culmination of years. I mean, when I started, when I was taking acting classes, I think Meisner said, I took Meisner technique and I think Meisner said it takes 20 years to become a great actor and 20 years of work to make it look like you're not putting in any work at all. And I feel like that applies here. Oh, yeah. And and uh, I think you know, for most guys, the learning curve isn't nearly as long, fortunately. I mean, obviously, if you want to be one of the top of the league guys who's dating all kinds of women and dating the supermodels and, and lining up dates every day of the week, then yeah, you're going to have to spend a lot of time to get there. But most guys you know, have, have much more modest ambitions. You know, the guy just wants to get a cute girlfriend. He just wants to have a couple of dates. He wants to enjoy being single for a while. And to get there, usually it doesn't take a huge amount of work. There's some guys that it can take longer for, but usually those guys are the are the hard case guys that have trouble with learning in general, or they're not very intuitive learners. But yeah, for most people, it's not quite that long. But there is this learning curve where you're, you're going to go go out and you're going to try and talk to women and you're going to make mistakes. And usually, most of the time, the mistakes most guys make is that they are missing signs. And then what will happen is they'll go on a date, or they'll meet some girl, or they'll see some girl, and she'll give the guy a sign. 
she'll show some interest or opens up a window for him to do something with her. And he'll look at it and he'll think, is she, does she want it? Maybe, I don't know. Is, is that a sign? Should I do something? Well, what if she says no? And then he'll just kind of not do anything. And then the next day or two days later, he thinks about it and starts kicking himself. But by then it's too late. She's already decided, well, he didn't go for it. Now, now it feels weird. And, and I've changed my mind. I don't, I don't want to date this guy anymore. And so guys have to go through a number of experiences like that where they realized, okay, when she gives me a sign, I better act on that now because women, you know, it's a woman's prerogative. She likes to change her mind. And women get disappointed when guys don't take advantage of the signs and windows that they give them. It's a thing that happens to a lot of guys and guys have to realize it enough that they can be more in touch with those signs and, and act on their instincts when they feel them. You know, as soon as the guy feels that instinct, like, is she giving me an opening? He's got to say to himself, okay, I think she is. I'm going to. I'm going to take a chance and then we'll just see how she reacts. I just couldn't help but say it, what you're saying sounds a lot like what I say to a lot of my leadership clients. Like people come to me and a lot, you know, a lot of times it's because they have issues with their CEO or their boss or their manager or someone that they report to. And they're like, my CEO doesn't do this and doesn't do that. I don't get support. I don't get understanding. I don't get given responsibilities. And a lot of times I'm like, this is an amazing, there's a, a leadership vacuum. If they're not leading, then there's an opportunity to lead. And if you take that opportunity then you will you will become the leader in that relationship and you'll get the you'll get the responsibility that you want if you lead them into it but if you think that leadership means the guy in the corner office telling people what to do and leading through authority and you have you don't have authority it's not going to work but if you think of it as developing social emotional skills and learning what motivates people and helping them achieve what they want with getting things done that benefit you that i guess are mutually beneficial you will become the leader and it, it like totally changes once they have the skills to do it, that they, they suddenly start seeing all these signs of someone abdicating their leadership potential or, or opportunity. And if you take it, you become the leader of a team. Like the top, the more someone's an effective leader that I meet, the more that they say things like, it's rare that the person with authority is the actual leader in a team or in a relationship. And you want to look for the people who are effectively leading through their behavior. Those are the people you want to work with and learn from. It sounds very similar. Yeah, leading through behavior. And also the part of listening seems to be a much bigger element than telling, or rather a prior element. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, you know, with dating. I think um, a lot of times we think about it as, well, the man has to take the lead and, and the man is, is taking action. And he is, but usually it's in response to signals from the woman. The women are, even when they've they'd had a really interesting study by a, a psychologist named Monica Moore where she looked out, uh, she, she and a bunch of students went out into actual field environments. They went to a cafeteria at the university and they went out to a bar and they watched just women that were sitting about in the environment. And they had a bunch of signs that they'd written down to look for that were these approach signals. And they looked at just random women that, that they saw and they found Can that the women that were putting what out... what the signals were? Yeah, so just signals like she's flicking her hair, where she's preening herself, straightening her clothes a little bit. She's looking around. Uh, you know, a woman that's that's not uh, looking to meet anybody is focused on whatever she's doing. She, uh, and now she'd be looking at her phone or listening to her music or, or reading something. You know, she's glancing about, making casual eye contact with people, glancing people, making eye contact, looking away. A lot of it's uh, tilting your head can be a sign. There's, I think they had like 38 of them of these different approach signals they looked for. And they found that the women that were, that were looking to be approached put out way more signals than the women that weren't who put out very few signals. 
And what they found was that was that uh, every woman that put out these signals got an approach, and every woman that got an approach accepted a date with at least one of the men that approached her. And some of them got approaches from multiple men. And another interesting thing that they found when they looked at approach signals later, and I think it was the same psychologist, uh, Monica Moore, might have been somebody else, but they looked at men acting on these approach signals from women. And what they found was that the men usually thought that they took initiative on their own without receiving any signals. But when they looked at the actual interaction, they, they found that pretty much every single man that approached did so after a signal from, uh, from a woman. And they also found that later in the interaction, the same thing happened. Women used their eyes and other signals to prompt the man to move to more intimate conversation or move the courtship forward in another way. So, you know, women have all kinds of signals they put out. So it could be something she's doing with her eyes. She might quiet. She might get quieter, but smile more. Proximity is a big one if she moves herself closer. Uh, women will touch more earlier on in the courtship, and they touch a little bit less later on. Uh, it's more the man doing the touching at that point. But they can use touch, especially early on, to prompt the guy to move to the next level. Uh, just laughing at the guy's jokes in general is a, is a good sign. Yeah, it's not so much how funny the guy is, but whether she's laughing at what he says or not. This is really deep, thought-provoking stuff. I mean, it's it feels like stuff that's like there if you know what to look for, but if you don't, it's you just don't even know that's going on. Yeah, it's happening. If you're in tune with your instincts, then you're responding to it instinctively. Uh, unfortunately, we live in these complex urban societies where we go through school and everything, and we're trained to not listen to our instincts and do things logically and rationally and, and uh, second-guess ourselves and be polite and mannerly, which are all very good things, and, and they're important for running a well-organized society, but they also make dating and mating a little bit more difficult because now every time we get one of these thoughts in our heads, like, you know, I, I think she's telling me she wants to be alone together, then we stop and think, well, wait, no, maybe that's not what she means. I don't want to misinterpret her. I don't want to offend her. I don't want to be impolite. Uh, maybe I should just wait for another signal. And so then people get in this habit of waiting and second guessing. And, and the guy's second guessing and waiting, and she's second guessing and waiting about him. Well, how come he's not doing anything? Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe I need now, to give him another signal. Maybe I should just wait. And now the emotion that they're sharing is like this questioning self doubt. And like, that's not a great foundation for a relationship. Hey, let's get together and self doubt. Right, you know, we're talking about women a lot. And I know that women are employees in your organization. Are they members or do they come to the site much? Do you know much about that? Yeah, we don't track it too actively. According to our analytics, uh, I think it's about 40% of our readership is female. Obviously, most of our, our customers, people that subscribe for uh, subscriptions to read our articles, we have, a, a, we have a paywall on there. If you get to 10 articles, you've got to subscribe if you want to read more in that month or buy one of our products. Those are pretty much all males. But, you know, we get a lot of female readers and... Our comments, we, we don't get a lot of comments compared to like a news site just because we're not doing controversy stuff. I've noticed that in particular. If you want to get a lot of comments, do stuff that's controversial and uh, political and, and current. Yeah, and judgmental. Current events. And you get a lot of people that, because people are very impassioned about that stuff. Whereas when you're doing more advice, people are less impassioned. So you get more people that are asking questions and then uh, for me, for instance, when I'm, when I'm more active, we get a lot of comments, but I'm active in responding to comments. And then when I'm not active in responding to comments, the comments kind of drop off. But uh, when I'm more active, I do see that we get female uh, readers commenting. And then if I ask about it, we get that. And, and a funny thing that has happened, you know, I, I do a lot of travel and I'm, I'm out of the U.S. 
quite often. We've had various members on our, on our forum or contributors to our site who are in the States. And we've had a couple of guys, uh, you know, we had one guy who was, who just wrote an article for the site and he went on a date with this woman he just met and she pulled up our website and showed it to him. She didn't know that he was a contributor to the site. And, you know, guys use uh, pseudonyms usually, or, uh, or they don't put their full name, maybe just their initials when they write an article. And she pulled up the site and showed him this article and right beneath the article she wanted to show him was an art. It was the, an, an article that he'd just written. And, uh, and she wanted to show him this article she'd read that she thought was interesting, wanted his perspective on it. And we've had other guys saying stuff like that. Oh, and what happened? Girlfriends pull up. <laughs> Did he tell her that he'd written the article just below it? No, no, he didn't tell her. Okay. I mean, it, that would be very interesting to hear. Yeah. We have some guys, I guess it's a personal preference thing. So we have some guys that are very open in general about writing for a dating advice site. And there's a little bit of a stigma, you know, with writing, especially you can write dating advice for women, no problem. But if you write dating advice for men, especially if it's not very mainstream, fluffier kind of stuff, then kind of got to be a little bit careful about that. You can get into some weird conversations, you know, some people stigmatizing it or whatever. But uh, we have, uh, most of our contributors are, are pretty open about it with, with the women that, that they're dating or the women in their lives. And we have uh, some that, that find that it's like a thing that actually gets more traction for them from women that they take out on dates for some reason. I don't know why. To say that they're members of the community or active posters and writers? Oh, when they're talking about that they're, that they're writers, uh, not, not uh, members of the community. I think if, if you're just a member of the forum, then, then yeah, that would be something most guys are more private about. You know, it just looks kind of lame if you're dating this girl and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm reading about how to date girls. Anything that you're doing with another person, people will suspect maybe this is manipulative or is this guy taking advantage of me or is he tricking me? Maybe I don't know the real him. I've just been talking to some guy, some guy that's just repeating lines that he read online. But uh, the guys that are contributors, they usually don't have any problem with it. People think it's interesting or attractive or different that they're writing these articles. Yeah, that reminds me, Jordan Harbinger, who was a guest on this podcast before, he was, I mean, I've been friends with him, I think a little before I met you, maybe around, I mean, definitely around the same time. His wife was there and she said, when I met him, I, is he going to be using lines? Is it going to be tricks? And I did my own monologue post on this podcast. I think it was on this podcast. Anyway, if, some, if people search my blog, they'll find it about how I heard an interview with the two of them talking, but you know, what she was nervous about, maybe he'll be using these tricks or tools or something. She's like, it was the opposite. He was more open, more himself. And to people who practiced, it's just like, like acting or leadership to me that if you, if you practice it, you become more authentic. Like the, the affectations go away as you develop the skills and you become more, what I think most people describe as more natural, more yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and like talk about putting your money where your mouth is. She married the guy. <laughs> like you don't commit much more than that. Indeed. So I can't help but ask, you described how it's easier to give advice to, to women or it's more acceptable. And it feels like what you're doing to the, you have many people coming, 40% women. That's a big number to me. I'm surprised that's not something you like tout, but I presume that's part of your strategy. But why do you know why this difference is? Why is there no boys chase? And I mean, you have competition, but it feels like it, not doing exactly what you do, but what you do seems like very matter of fact and practical and, and useful why is there this big gap? Well, uh, I will tell you this uh, from, from 
writing articles and generating content for years and years, it's very difficult to make that make sense financially. We did just articles with a paywall and some lower level products for a long time. And it was very difficult to monetize. You know, it's, uh, there's an old, uh, what's the name of, do you remember fake Steve Jobs? I don't. There was a blogger, his, he was called fake Steve Jobs. And it was back when Steve Jobs was still alive. It was years and years ago. And he would write these articles, these blog articles, pretending to be Steve Jobs. And he'd do it in a, in a Steve Jobs kind of way. But it was, it was a parody and people thought it was really funny. And he would get all this traffic. And when he got mentioned, and I think it was the New York Times, he got something like a million visits in one day. And he ended up making pretty much no money from that. And he wrote an article saying you can't make a money you can't make any money blogging and uh, obviously there are people that do make a lot of money blogging especially if you look at i've looked at some of the other sites and how they're doing it if you look at uh, ask men for instance they split up their articles into all these little you know top 10 signs and then for each one you got to click to another page and every time you click to another page it's loading a full set of ads so they keep getting all these ad views and they're making a bunch of money because every time you click to the next page to see what is number 8 Number seven, number six, and they're getting more money from the from the uh, advertisers. Whereas for us, we're not doing advertising like that. We just have our own products. We have our own paywall, and uh, it's hard to monetize. And for me, it was it was for a long time. It was directly tied to how much content was I putting out. Did I put out a lot of? Because people like to read stuff from Chase. So when I put out a lot of stuff, when I'm very active, when I'm interacting with the comments, the forums, you know, when I'm pretty much putting my lifeblood into it, then we're making good money. If I get burned out for a while and then we have more contributors writing, then the sales drop as soon as I'm not as soon as I'm not churning out a ton of content myself. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a lot more work than a full time job. You really gotta care about it to put out consistently good quality content. So it's it's a lot of work. It's kind of low payout. It's it's rewarding work, I think, but very difficult. And, you know, once I finally I think it was good for me from a content perspective, because after, you know, eight years of putting out tons of deep, practical, well-thought-out content, I was able to sit down and do what I think is probably the best product out there on this stuff, as far as our video course is concerned, where we go deeper than anywhere else, but also keeping it very simple and to the point and the most practical stuff. And uh, so I think we got the best product out of that. So, you know, it pays off in terms of the financial side of things too. So I think we're, we're, we're doing pretty well financially now after, after years of struggling. But uh, I think that's probably the main reason why is just the uh, the return on investment. You're, you're putting in a ton of work and effort, and there's just not a lot of financial payoff. And and you do see people that have quality blogs for a while, but it, they pretty much always just disappear because people need to eat. You know, they need to go get a job. They need to, you know, they they have their social lives. They can't be spending all their time generating content nonstop. So you really kind of have to have a passion for it. And have it as something that you really want to do beyond uh, beyond the money thing, and still need to somehow. It's difficult to to be the guy that's producing content, and then also figuring out the marketing and figuring out the money thing. And a lot of guys that are good at content don't want to deal with marketing. They feel like they're sellouts if they do marketing. And a lot of the guys that get into marketing can become cynical, and, and you know, so it's just really hard to keep everything balanced. It's a difficult thing to do. So all, all this passion that kept you going, what's your passion? What drives you? Is, is it changed over time? I, I feel like people get into it at the beginning. They're like, oh, I'm going to meet Holly's hot girls. 
But you're talking about your customers much more. And I mean, we're now 10 years into this. So I imagine things have changed. What, what's your passion? What drives you? You point out that the ones who don't make it, they don't stick through it. And you have to be motivated by more than just making money because you, it's going to be a long time before you make money. So that tells me you've been motivated for a long time and a lot. I'm curious what drives you. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So one of the things that I think about like drive and motivation is I think you can look in yourself and get, uh, at least with me, you can get a part of a picture, but it's really hard to get a complete picture. You know, for me, there's this sort of, I know what I want to do and there's the drive to do it, but how much of it can I completely understand or say that this is driven by that? I think for me, a part, a big part of it is that I went through this myself and I spent years in this, this kind of self-imposed social isolation where during my whole teenage years and, and my early 20s, I had this phobia of talking to other people and being around other people. And I just didn't, by the time I was 22, you know, I didn't even know how to have a conversation with another person before I finally, finally decided that I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn how to talk to people, which I did. But it, you know, it took me a while to, to catch up. And I went through that and I, and I went through all this suffering for years where I'm watching life pass me by and all these other people leave me behind in their dust. And it's just, you know, sitting there and, the, and watching the, the time tick by on the days. I don't want other people to have to go through that. And I feel like it's, it's a way for me to help other people that are, are, are going through what I went through. And, uh, and I did have a moment when I was a teenager when I said to myself, if I ever get out of this, I'm going to do my best to try and help as many other guys get out of this as I can. Because once I figured it out, once I know that there's a way out, then I can share that with other people. And so for me, that's, that's been a big driver for a long time. You know, one of the, one of the first articles I had on my website was, was how to overcome depression, which was a, a big thing for me personally, because I found that, you know, I, I spent years trying to overcome depression on my own or hoping that it would clear before I finally realized that, that uh, hoping for your life to change isn't going to do it. Because the, you know, the, the interesting thing for me back then was uh, I had read this, this article on the news about this guy that was a multimillionaire and he had this beautiful wife and a great house and everything from the outside looked like a perfect life. And then he killed himself. And I, and I forget uh, more of the details of the case, but I remember reading that and saying, you know, here's this guy that has everything that people say, oh, if I had that, I'd be happy. And this guy was still so unhappy that he took his own life. And at that point, I said, I've got, to, I've got to fix my own depression because I don't think there's anything that I can ever get that's going to fix it for me. So, uh, and once I made that change, I realized it's possible to change almost anything about yourself and, and take charge of your life. And it set me on this trajectory where I realized I can change myself internally and then I can change all these other things about my life. And suddenly the, the, the doors of possibility open, whereas before they were closed. And once you have that, it's like I can go out and share that with other people and build something that, that I think people are going to appreciate and get a lot of value out, out of. And uh, by all the evidence I've seen, uh, that has been the, been the case. So when you say that was an early article, how is that in the first couple of years, in the first year or two? Uh, that was so for me, I, I was in college and I'd gone through my teenage years and my early 20s. And I was in this deep depression and I kept telling myself that, you know, I have the right to be depressed because my life sucks. 
and I'm not going to stop being depressed until my life is better. And when I say early, I'm thinking about early in my, my journey of change because that was a thing that I saw that made me realize that, that you know, even if I get all these things that I think are going to change my mentality, they may not change my mentality and I might have all these wonderful things and still be depressed anyway. So I thought you also referred to an article that you wrote about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was uh, yeah an article that I wrote early on into the website, Girls Chase. One thing is that the sensitivity and empathy and compassion that you speak with belies, I think, the mainstream perspective or view of the market or the segment of the market that you're in. The other is that I, it made me think of in 10 years, you yourself are a different person. There's like a lot of character development in this story that you can't be doing now what you were doing then. I mean, 10 years is a large part of someone's life. How would you describe the change that's brought about you, your relationships, your world, how, what you're bringing differently to, to your customers? Uh, you mean the chase now versus chase 10 years ago? Yeah. To me, there's a big story here. It's uh, the story of you, the story of the company. Yeah. You know, uh, back then my focus was, I just want to write some. So when I started the site, when I started, started Girls Chase in 2008, it wasn't, I never intended for it to be a big business, not, not a million visitors a month, not a, you know, financially successful corporation. It was, it was not intended to be any of that. It was just a blog that I started because I was on a few forums and people were telling me that they liked my advice and they wanted me to start a blog. And my initial reaction was, well, you know, why would I uh, start a blog? I don't even read blogs myself. Does anybody read that stuff? I don't think anybody's going to be interested in reading my blog, but uh, I relented and started one. But I didn't update it very much for a while. And I had a, I had a day job at the time. I was a business consultant. And after I left the consulting world, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do. But uh, I just wanted to, I figured with, with dating, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of at the point where there's not too much else for me to do here. So let me write a book so that I'll take the stuff that I know how to do, that I've learned how to do and, and put it out there. That way there's a record of, of uh, here's the stuff that I know and other guys can use it and, and that'll kind of be the, the bow to end my involvement with this area. And uh, it ended up being not how it worked out because once I had the book out, then I, I thought, well, maybe I can, I can sell it and made a little bit of money. I said, hey, this is interesting. You know, I, I don't have any other income at the moment. I had some startups I was working on and, and nothing was, was profitable. So I thought, well, we might as well keep the site going and, and we'll see if we can grow it. And we started growing it more and then and it became this thing where, and eventually reached a point where, uh, you know, I reached a, a point of strain where I think around 2012, where I very much cared about keeping the content great and delivering value to people. And at the same time, I was also under a lot of financial pressure because I had all this debt from these failed startups and I had no idea what I was going to do financially. You know, I had this deep net negative net worth. So it was, it was a really weird place where like I, I, on the one hand, I really care about keeping the content really high quality and keeping the site running well. And on the other hand, I need to figure out a way to make money or else I don't know what's going to happen. And fortunately, I figured out uh, as I was reaching the end of my rope, uh, I was able to get like a new homepage design on the site that doubled our sales. And then we, we rolled a few other things out. So we started making more money with the site. And uh, as the site became more successful over the years, we were able to start bringing in more people 
more contributors. Um, and then we were able to put together a team to shoot our big video product, which I've been wanting to do since I think uh, early 2012 or 2011. And it just took us, I can be kind of slow to do this stuff, especially when you're bootstrapping everything and you don't have a lot of money to play with. But eventually we got a team where we were able to do a video product. And by the time we get to that point, you know, I'm starting to, I kind of evolved more into more and more into the business person where I'm still this guy who's generating content, but I'm also starting to manage teams of people. And it's this, it's this, uh, you know, for me personally, then it's like looking at how do I balance this out with, uh, on the one hand, there are a bunch of readers that, that really value the relationship they have with me from me generating a lot of content where I'm writing articles, I'm responding to comments, I'm engaging on the forum. On the other hand, the majority of people that interact with us are going to be people that move by quicker and they're either they're going, to, going to buy a product or, or get into the content or they're not and then they're going to be gone. So you need to have a bigger business that's better able to capture those people and deliver the, the content and the message right away. And for me to be able to build that kind of a business, I can't be devoting 70 hours a week or whatever to, to doing content. So there's this choice that you have to make at some point where I really do like generating lots of content. And I like having that relationship with the audience. At the same time, if I want to grow the business seriously big, you know, there's a, there's a Paul Graham quote I saw a few years ago. Paul Graham said, uh, if you have time to blog, you don't have time to be a CEO. And for a while, I, I, I said, oh, I'm, I, you know, I think I must be the exception to that. But eventually I realized that it's really, you know, difficult to, to actually run the business while also generating lots of content. So, uh, and I still, it's a thing for me now because I'm writing so much less content than I used to because I spend so much time managing teams now. And I feel like I'm, I'm letting the audience down to some extent because I'm not in there as much. But at the same time, in order to, to grow things to the point where we can offer what I think are going to be even more tremendous value to more people, I got to be able to manage people and grow things this way. So there's a, yeah, there are these trade-offs and, and there's no like perfect right answer for how you're going to do things or, or what are you going to focus on. But uh, I think I'm managing as best as I can. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, things have changed for me. Things have changed for the value that we're providing for the audience. I think and hope we're still providing as much value as we always have and, and we're trying to provide more value, but uh, it's getting me busier and busier and pulling me in all these different directions. And you have to decide where you're going to focus your time and energy. I'll throw in one other thing before I, uh, before I wrap that answer up. Um, the other thing that I have noticed that also gives me a little bit of urgency here is that pretty much every other guy in the space at some point, when the guy that's in the, in the, you know, in the dating space, a lot of these guys end up being called gurus, like a dating guru. And you have the same thing in the, in the health, wealth relationships, you know, the business, make money guru or whatever. But these, these businesses that are built around a personality, especially in dating, at some point the guy just decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. Guys lose interest. And then when they lose interest, if they haven't built the business into a, into a real business, then it all just falls apart, which is not something that I want to have happen with Girls Chase. You know, we have this content all the content that I put out there is is uh, timeless, essentially. Guys can always go, you know, that advice is not going to change. You know, we're not giving them lines to say. We're giving them psychological things that are happen, happening, uh, stages of the courtship. This is stuff that is the same. It's never going to change. So 
you know, the stuff once it's there can be guys can access it and get value from it forever. And we we still have a lot of guys that say their their favorite articles of mine and the most use, useful ones are the ones from early on in the in the site's life when I was still covering the basics. Because you know, once you cover the basics, then it's like, well, we already covered the basics. Let's go into all these nuances and details. But a lot of guys, especially when they're new, still just want to go over the basics. So the other concern for me is before I reach the point where I'm burnt out on content, like like has happened to all these other guys, how do we get the business set up so that we're getting new contributors in so that we've built the business in a way that is sustainable, that it's not going to fall apart and that instead it's going to keep growing and be able to reach more guys and continue to have a, a, an impact on guys' lives and not just disappear like I've seen happen to so many of these companies. I appreciate your sharing this. It, to me, I've, there are a couple of things I felt like there's a big behind the scenes, not expose, but you're giving the story behind the scenes that I think most people wouldn't consider, but it applies, I think, to almost anyone who stumbles on something that is deeply meaningful to them that they also realize this is valuable to many others. And I think like scratching your own itch and finding out that many people have that same itch is a big, it's not the only way, but it's one of the big ways that I think a lot of very successful businesses get started. And then when I think about the environment, what you talk about is huge. There's so many people who care deeply or they, you know, stewardship is tremendously important for them and they want to act on it and they want to do something. And there's this big feeling of if I act, but no one else does, then it really doesn't make a difference. And they believe that. And or they think, you know, straws are so small, it's not worth bothering with, but like political change is such a big thing. That's not worth doing either. And I think people dream of being able to have the effect that you do on the number of people that you do, let's say in the environment. Like I, I, I'm sure a lot of people would love to have a site with a million visitors a day, oh, sorry, a month, well, a day too, that led people to change their environmental behavior. And it takes 10 years to get there. I bet, well, I'm sure it would take, I would guess it would take a lot less time in the environment because there's, I don't think there's much stigma about polluting less. Uh, it probably is. But I don't know. I, I'm not going to try to compare how long it would take, but it still is not going to be overnight. And you got to build that stuff up. And I know that marketing is a big thing for you and listening to your customers and so forth. So I hope anyone listening is doing what I did, which was translate what you did into my field. Like I don't have a million uh, listeners a month or at all. And, but I do have the passion and it tells me that I'm going to have to work for a long time. And, but it also gives me the expectation that it will come at some point. And I felt that before you said that, but even more so now, I have every expectation that I will have some comparable success where success means people changing their lives and being grateful and, and spreading it and sharing it because it makes such a big difference. And in the face of people misunderstanding it from the outside, I think people so often hear leadership in the environment and all they hear is environment. And they associate that with like people with compliance and doom and gloom. And they don't, they miss the leadership part, which is about the meaning and value and purpose and the joy and the discovery and the growth. And that's what I'm sharing. I just don't see people sharing it. And that parallel to me speaks a lot. What people on the outside think your uh, segment provides is, it's not what you provide. I mean, it's what you're talking about is, is again, the, the empathy and compassion, the, the sensitivity to me is really big. Sorry if I'm making you blush or something like that. But it's hard to do these days. (laughs) I hope people are taking that away. Of like, if you're at the beginning of something, and everyone says, "Oh, don't expect an overnight success," and you know, when you see an overnight success, it's usually ten years in the making. Easy to say, but not so many people share it. I appreciate that. Feeling inspired? 
Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Hey, this is Josh. Everything we've recorded so far has been business and leadership related. The next part of the conversation is almost all environment. So I'm going to break here because it's a long conversation. So I'm going to give you the first few minutes of the second half of the conversation. And then there's the second half to listen to separately. And now I'm going to, I'm going to switch almost hopefully not giving, giving ourselves whiplash, but I'm going to switch. I feel like everything we've talked about so far was leadership and I want to switch to the environment. And we're over an hour, I think now. So I'll mention you and I talk about environmental things a lot. And I'm, for me, it's a very active thing. It's something that is a very high priority for me. And I'm going to tell people that from our conversations, you are tremendously knowledgeable about this. It's not as a, it's not the priority for you that it is for me, but it's something we talk about a lot. And what does the environment mean to you? When you think about the environment, what is it? What do you think about? Uh, that's a, that's a broad question. So when you're talking about environment, I know you mean uh, the, the natural environment, right? The natural world that humans are living in, uh, and in particular, the, the human impact on the environment. I think uh, when most people are talking about the environment, that's, that's what they mean. When I think about environment in general, I actually think about those things. And I also think about the, the constructed environment. I think about uh, the change of environment, particularly as species evolve, uh, as they change their own environment. And, uh, you know, when the dinosaurs evolve, things kind of change around them. The same thing's happening with humans. We're, we're very sadly wiping out a lot of animals and, and plants. And at the same time, we're also having all these animals that are adapting to our presence as well. Uh, obviously, not as much, nowhere near as many as we're wiping out. We have all these animals like rats and pigeons and, and other things that are flourishing in human environments. Cockroaches are another big one which is, is kind of interesting. That's the teaser of the first few minutes of the second part of the conversation. Tune in for the second part tomorrow. See you there.